Hey everyone, and welcome to Talking ELT, the easiest place to learn about the big trends in language teaching. Today, we're continuing a conversation about self-regulated learning with Nathan, Hayo, and Fleur. I'd like to start this episode by exploring the ways we can help learners develop these skills more effectively, before then looking at the ways that schools and institutions currently try to support self-regulated learning. So let's kick off the first part of this conversation. I want to look again at, um, I, I, asked, I asked you all earlier how you got involved in this topic of self-regulated learning, how, how you were interested. Um, and you, you did, Flora and Hire, you mentioned stories about your own experience being a self-regulated learner. Um, I guess looking back, I want to ask, what would have made you a better self-regulated learner? What would have what would have helped you take control? And um and Nathan, I don't think you told us whether you were a very self-regulated learner. Um I was very motivated. Okay. Um I'm not sure what direction that motivated <laughs> motivation was was heading in all the time. I th- yep. I think it maybe it wasn't towards language learning um early on. But um yeah, I think I think for me, uh, I've always been quite a driven person. It's about um, sort of finding an interest that I can target that, that you know, drive or that motivation towards. So in terms of regulation, um, I would say very self-regulated in some aspects, especially yep. if we think about the concept that Hayo has introduced in terms of life-wide learning. I would say mine was quite quite wide, um, but in other aspects, sort of not having that spark. I think, yeah. particularly, you know, in 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 the U.S. where I'm from, we in middle school taking Spanish classes, for example. Um, I wasn't I wasn't very motivated. I wasn't very self regulated. It was just another thing that I had to do. I, I I wasn't until later on when I moved to Thailand actually to teach English when I had a very real reason, a real sort of interest for learning Thai that I that I really that self regulation kicked in. Yeah. So I think as teachers, it's kind of I think helping learners to find that spark or to kind of help to ignite that. Mm-hmm fire within them, I guess. Uh, because for me, w- once that was ignited, the self-regulation part came quite easy. That was, that was just about, you know, finding, finding the right people to interact with and searching online for different strategies and ways of learning vocabulary and things like that. Mm. I think, mm, for me, I had some teachers, thinking back to when I was at school, who were good at what we would now call self-regulated learning, but there were very few of them. Okay. And sometimes they were in subjects that I liked anyway, I was good at. So in a way, I didn't need it as much. I really needed it in the subjects where I struggled and I didn't necessarily have it in those subjects. So I could have done with more support, I think. Yeah, I think definitely I could have done with more support generally. Mm. Mm. Um, but I didn't really know that was something that was important at the right. time. Th- that's an issue, isn't it? You don't know what you don't know. No. Especially as a learner, right? Exactly. And when you're yeah. younger, you, you just, yes, you don't know. You just know you have to do this subject and you go to yeah. school and you don't think beyond that in some ways. Mm. So as you get older, you look back and think, oh, actually, mm. I could have done that differently and I should have done that differently. Mm. Um, yeah, I would have benefited from structure. So okay. I, I was also a very driven, motivated uh, learner, very interested in, in languages. And uh, I think in some ways... Uh, quite successful, but I don't think I was nearly as efficient at it as I as I could have been. If somebody had actually said, "Hey, you're you're doing what we call self-regulated learning," um, but there's actually these different components to it. You do this really well. You don't do that at all. You do that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now string them all together in a meaningful order, and see what happens. Uh, <laughs> I think that would have been 
have been uh, much more successful. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's everything from setting your own goals, regulating the yep. work you're doing, assessing yourself, etc. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that makes I think that makes perfect sense. Especially, um, I remember when I moved to China to start um, teaching there, I was doing mostly test preparation courses, and that structure is kind of built in because you know the test is at the end, and there's a certain target score, and um, that sort of distinguishing then between who's self-regulating and who's not can be quite difficult because everyone's following a very structured sort of systematic path. But I think when when we sort of extrapolate from that and we and we try to see, okay do I need to control this path or do I just need to inform them of certain steps and to make them aware of certain strategies? Uh, I think that's where we can start to harness that self-regulation within a structure, within some kind of informed practice that we have. Because I do think that experienced teachers are, are necessary in those situations. You know, I've always been critical of the idea that the teacher's role is somehow lessened in this idea of, of, of promoting self-regulated learning. Mm-hmm. Because... Because that expert can be quite powerful. Um, and, and as Hayo mentioned, providing that structure to students and giving them some ideas for steps that they could take or to explore. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's what the paper is is possibly most helpful for, is, is that it, it tries to bring together uh, those different aspects at different stages or elements, whatever you want to call them, in, in a very clear structured order. What we didn't have space for to talk about in this paper, although we did actually, I think, include it in an earlier paper on using technology to motivate learners, uh, is the notion that when you introduce uh, new ideas to your learners, such as, you know, self-regulated learning, that you do that gradually and that you that you plan that over a longer mm. period of time. Mm. I think that's of a course. mistake that I've made in my early exactly. career, right? Same. <laughs> now, now, I want all of you to be 100% <laughs> autonomous, all right, from tomorrow, okay? Uh, but I think the, 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 the framework that we included in the earlier paper was you start by uh, preparing learners, right, which essentially is just awareness raising. It's it's yes, it's course. alerting learners to the possibility that maybe one day you're not going to be there anymore, and that there are possibly resources, tools, mm-hmm. other people out there, you know, who might help you, who might support you in your learning. So it's really just planting a seed, and then the next one is to en- encourage learners to start, uh, you know, to practice some of the necessary skills mm-hmm. in a controlled environment. So, for example, in within the classroom, you might say, well, imagine that you're going to interview uh, somebody in the community, right? Well, you're not going to just randomly walk up to someone and say, hey, can I interview you? You know, there's, there's ways of yeah. doing that, yeah. you know, <laughs> better ways and worse ways, right? So, maybe that's an opportunity to talk about communication strategies and planning how you go about a certain activity. And only once learners have practiced that in that sort of safe environment and have a level of confidence around that might you go ahead and say, well, now let you go and do it yourself outside of the class actually go and speak to some people on the street right for example depending on the age level obviously but you still support them you might still give them uh, a bank of, of expressions to help them to open a conversation for example right and you still ask them to report back and give them feedback on how they did so it's still in a sort of a, a controlled managed monitored environment and only after learners have you know, say to you like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I get what you, what you mean now. Then you can actually leave them to start figuring out their own plans to engage in learning by themselves. And it's only really if we do all of these things gradually and carefully that learners build up the necessary, not just knowledge, but also the the confidence to be able to do it. 
Yeah, like you say, you've got to start early on and start small yeah. because I always sort of think of it as something that you do when you're revising for an exam, then you suddenly start, you know, planning and whatever. But it's, it's got to be something that's right at the beginning, regardless of an exam. And also give them a variety of strategies, I mm. think, as well, because not everything works for everybody. Um, so, you know, yeah. give them a choice of doing different things. Slow and steady as well, mm. right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think feedback on strategy use as well is very important. I think about some of the students that I worked with early on that I would have considered self-regulated and highly motivated, um, but strategies that they were using probably weren't the best. You know, mm, trying yeah. to memorize fifty words from a dictionary. Oh yeah, night, <laughs> that's not. Yeah, you know, that's never going to end well, is it? <laughs> just get this dictionary knowledge into my head, then I will have the language, and and so we can we can have these learners that do have. You know, they are maybe prepared in a sense where they have the sort of the, um, the motivation or the will or the drive, whatever term we want to use. Um, but strategy awareness and then feedback on strategy use, you know, how's that working out for you? So I think just, you know, creating some time and space, whether it's through some kind of journaling activity or um, something where you what, I, what I've done fairly recently is, you know, have students complete a task and then ac uh, ask them to write out the process. What exactly did you mm -hmm. do? Take me through step by step and sort of write that out. And a lot of times just creating that awareness and having them discuss it or to get feedback can be quite powerful. Well, I like that uh, what you just described, um, because it really forces the learner to reflect on what they do, possibly also encouraging them to to query why they did certain things. But it also gives you insight into what led to a certain result because exactly. it's so easy as a as a teacher to say, okay, you you successfully completed the task. It may have just been luck. Yeah. Or it may have just, you know, been as a result of a whole bunch of wrong choices that cancelled each <laughs> other out. You know, a story of my life really. Uh, right? So that that whether it's verbalized or written down or whatever, but that that is really a powerful uh, technique. A little bit time consuming perhaps, but I think a good investment uh, on occasion. And also if it's a wrong answer instead of just it's wrong. You find out why mm. they came up with that. And, and think, it may oh, not even be a problem that it's the exactly. wrong answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which is interesting. Mm. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about individual experiences and individual learners and approaches for teachers to support their learners. And I kind of want to zoom out a little bit um, and look more broadly at the state of education today and how we support self-regulated learning within it. So I guess my first question is, do you see many teachers these days effectively supporting self-regulated learning? Do you see many schools and institutions doing a good job of it? Do the teachers around you or the teachers you've, interact, you've interacted with um, regularly support independent learning, autonomous learning, etc.? So, so Chris has this habit of asking multiple layered questions. <laughs> I do in one. I do. And then he hopes that we'll make sense of Picked it. One of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never sure where to start. To be honest. <laughs> I mean, you always do a very good job of it. <laughs> it it's, it's so I can throw them all out at once. He's and so I can, complimentary. I can sit back for five minutes while yes, you guys hash you, it out. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, the, the two main questions embedded in the one that you just asked are, um, firstly, whether teachers do this. And then a related question, do they do it well? Yes. Which is not the same. And then the other is, do organizations do this? And I guess you could ask, do they do it well? And I really think it's meaningful to try and, you know, talk about both of these. And to start with the, the first one, I think, um, I think that there is a, a hugely increased awareness of the importance of self-regulated learning and autonomy, etc., among teachers. Right when I when I started my career 25 years ago, autonomy was still a very new thing. 
<clears throat> and that's not the case anymore. There's a high level of interest, etc. And I think that generally speaking, it's much more embedded. Teachers try much more actively to right to develop it. However, we still have a, a large number of issues around this. One is that still in many uh, teacher preparation programs, as well as teaching teacher support, so both pre-service and in-service, um, it's given scant attention. It's talked about as a concept, but from what I gather, usually as a as a theoretical construct, not so much in the sense of well, how do I actually do this? You know, yeah. where do I start, etc. So that's one big issue. The second is that it's still very, and that probably ties in with the organizational bit. It's still very uneven. I, I, you know, when I go to universities or schools and I do observations, etc., I see some teachers are doing a fantastic job and some teachers who don't give it any attention whatsoever. So as a learner, from a learner's experience, it's very, you know, um, unpredictable and there's no continuity. And as we just already established, this requires a long-term, slow and steady uh, approach. So if that's interrupted it's not going to be as successful as it could be, right? Exactly, yeah, I'd say the same. It's very piecemeal. And a lot of teachers have got the willingness, but a lack of time, and they've got a lot of other pressures from curriculum exams and parental expectations and so on, which means that something that isn't specifically there that you have to do will probably get missed out, and, and they don't know where to start. Of course. And, and if it's not followed through in other subjects, then it, it doesn't have much effect, mm. and students can't understand why they're doing it in one lesson and not in the other. It's... um. Yeah, it, it needs a sort of structure across the whole school to embed it properly. Yeah, it's like going to the, the gym <sighs> today and then not for three weeks and then three days in a row. You know what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work. No, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for me, I think um, I think it's really the organizational level where I would like to see the most change. Okay. Because uh, I, I work with, with pre-service teachers and in-service teachers on different programs. And usually when this topic comes up, I guess because it's a vested interest of mine, strategies and self-regulation, um, one, of the common, one of the common responses is that, well, well that, wouldn't, that wouldn't work in my school. Mm. Or we can't do that within our curriculum or there's too much to teach. And um, it's easy to brush that off. But at the same time, having taught in similar contexts, I think I'm very much reminded of that. Uh, you know, this is what we need to cover, this is what the test is on, and if, if it's a, a private institution, you know, this is what we're paying for mm -hmm. in terms of parents and of students course. and that kind of thing. So I think at the, at the organizational level um, is where these kinds of ideas need to be more carefully implemented, I think, in a systematic way, like we've outlined in the paper. Um, sort of going from that engaging sort of initial stage all the way through empowering and, and, and the other steps in between. Um, because if if there is no benefit to introducing these concepts into a course where you only see the learners for six weeks or eight weeks or, or one term or something like that, um, then it can be very challenging. And, and, and I think for, for teachers as well, we maybe start taking this idea of that we're not necessarily here to promote uh, lifelong and life-wide learning, but I need to get these learners to a certain score by this date, or or my yeah. job is on the line. For Absolutely, example. yeah. So um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a tricky situation, and I think mm. now that we have a position paper uh, with someone like Oxford University Press, and it's not just um you know an individual researcher throwing out ideas in a journal article, for example, I think that there there could be a lot more interaction now with this kind of support behind it in mm. terms of not just what the teachers are doing or, or 
you know, because it's easy to say, oh, well, the, the teachers aren't doing a lot or the teachers aren't doing enough. But mm -hmm. what is the organization doing? You know, yeah. how, how how's the organization addressing it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think in the in the paper, in the framework, uh, the, the top half of it, and that was deliberate, even though, you know, you, you could argue that pedagogy and therefore the bottom half of the, the figure is the most important. But it is shaped by what happens at, at other levels, right? And uh, I have the same experience as, as all of all of you, I'm sure, is is that teachers say, well, I, I like I like this autonomy stuff or this, you know, strategy stuff, but I haven't got time for it. Mm. Um, so yeah, that is not down to the to the individual teacher. So the the top half of the framework is essentially the the wider context, basically the, the environment outside of the classroom beyond the teacher and the learner. And there are there are three layers. There's the societal, there's the institutional, and there's the, the direct managerial. And uh, we'll probably talk a little bit later about how all of those need to come together and how they relate directly to the pedagogy. But at this point, what is important to recognize is that if, for example, at a, what we call in the paper, societal level, which, you know, could be, for example, a Ministry of Education setting guidelines, right, or, or having policies uh, implemented. If if they do not encourage or possibly even allow for mm. learners to make meaningful decisions about their own learning, then clearly that's going to have an impact on what actually happens within an institution, yeah. how leaders and managers are going to instruct their teachers and how teachers are going to be teaching, right? So it really is important to look at, at the broader picture to understand the landscape. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking ELT, the easiest place to learn about the big issues in language teaching. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you want to learn more about this issue and others like it. You can also get practical advice and resources on this topic by downloading our position paper. Just follow the link in the description.